We've been in 40 days of prayer, and what a great time uh, this has been for us as we've been focusing together on um, just what it means to really live a life of prayer, not just to add prayer into our life, not to have a prayer life, but to live a life of prayer. And I came across a quote recently from uh, a guy named Peter Kreeft. He's a professor of philosophy at Boston College, happens to be a a follower of Jesus and an apologist for the Christian faith. And he he said this, uh, this is a great quote. He said, I strongly suspect that if we saw all the difference, even the tiniest of our prayers to God make, and all the people those little prayers were destined to affect, and all the consequences of those effects down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with awe at the power of prayer that we'd be unable to get up off our knees for the rest of our lives. Well, I don't know that God wants us to stay on our knees for the rest of our lives. I think he, there's kind of some other stuff he wants us to be doing. But he does say, I want you to pray. And uh, what a great time this has been as we're looking together. I want to talk to you today about how to pray for healing and restoration. And you know what, um, there could hardly be a more poignant subject that I could talk about right now because my goodness, we're living in a pandemic where, where we need God to bring healing. We're asking him to heal our land. We need him to be healing individuals. But my goodness, this time has, has uh, you know, when you put something under pressure, the cracks have a way of showing up. And this time of pressure has has revealed a lot of cracks in some marriages and in some relationships and homes and businesses, in communities, indeed even in the fabric of our nation itself. And people are hurting. And my goodness, if there was ever a time that we needed to see breakthroughs and transformation and healing and restoration to happen in our individual lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our nation, it's right now. In fact, I was impressed. Um, Julia Jackson, who is the mother of Jacob Blake, you may recall in August, Jacob Blake uh, was shot by a police officer at point blank range seven times uh, while he was reaching uh, into his, uh, his, his car. And uh, tragically, his three sons were in the back seat and witnessed that event. And you know, it, it, it caused an explosion of anger and the, the racial tensions that are going on in our nation once again came to the forefront. And I appreciated so much, you ought to Google this, his mother Julia Jackson, when they put the microphone in her, in her face, she said some amazing things. And she talked about, first of all, how dare you think that there's disparities because of the color of our, sin, uh, of our skin and uh, talked about how dare you think that anybody is more supreme. Uh, you know, there is this issue of white supremacy that's being talked about. And I love what she said. She said, the only supreme being is our Father in heaven. And she said, I'm praying that God will bring healing to our nation. I'm praying for the police officers. I'm praying for my people. I'm praying for all people because we need healing in our nation. We need healing in our nation. And I want to use a passage of scripture that has been laid out for us in this 40 days. It's a great passage of scripture. To be honest, I used to not like this passage. 
because of how it, how it got used. I'll say something about that in a second. But it's this great promise that God makes to King Solomon. It's a promise really to, to God's people Israel found in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And it's this familiar passage. Look at what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And to be honest, there was a time when I didn't like this passage because just about every time I heard somebody talk about it, they, they said, you see, you know, the, the key is really God's people. And if God's people were just being what they ought to be, that our land would be fine. And, and it, it became a way of kind of trying to blame the church that our culture is in the state that it's in. But I want to tell you that our culture's in the state that it's in because of the state that our culture chooses to live in. And uh, while God always begins with his people and says that his people are the salt and light, blaming what's going on in our country on the church is like blaming Jesus that one of his disciples, Judas, turned out to be a thief and a betrayer and somebody who wasn't even saved according to scripture. That wasn't Jesus' fault. That was Judas, Judas's choices. And, and so what I want you to see in this passage, though, is that God is saying that it's my people who I'm going to make a promise to that I will hear their prayers, and I will hear their prayers and answer prayers for healing and for restoration. And it's a great passage. In fact, God really says, if, notice that's the first word of the verse, and about the middle of it he says, then, here's what I'll do. Here's, this is an if-then proposition. And God says there are four conditions that he says he wants us to be paying attention to on our own lives. If you will, he says, now this is your part, and here's what I want you to do, and if you'll do your part, then I'll do my part. Let's talk about setting the right conditions on our part in order to pray and see God bring healing and restoration. And I just want to say there are four things here. I want to spend more time on the first two because uh, they're more foundational and more critical. But here's the first thing. God says, first of all, if my people will humble themselves. And that means, number one, the first condition is admitting I'm not in control. Now, we've been talking about that a lot over these last seven months because we have been forced to realize the numbers of things <laughs> that we cannot control that have in fact been taken out of control. Now, here's, here's a piece of good news that I want to give you. Here's the good news. There is one God, and you're not him, and neither am I. And this whole issue of our trying to control things and control people, our our attempts to do that are one of the sources of conflict and stress and pain in our life. And God says, first of all, I want you to assume a posture of humility. That you're not coming to me in your prayers. You're not coming arrogantly. You're not coming flippantly. You're not coming in some kind of a disrespectful, demanding way. God, you know, I'm commanding you that, that you're to do this. We, we don't demand things from God. That's not the way it works. But he says, first of all, you humble yourself. Now here's an interesting thing. 
Never in scripture are we told to pray that God will humble us. We're told again and again and again that we are to humble ourselves because humility is a choice that we make. It's a posture that we're willing to assume in our own lives. What does humility look like? You know, I, I came across something somebody would written. They pointed out 12 things. Don't try to write these down, but just, just kind of listen to it. Here, here's, here's what humility looks like. Number one, it's an immediate confession of my sin when I, uh, either to God or to someone else when I realize that I've done wrong. Whoa, I'm in the wrong, and I admit it. And, uh, and, and that's humility. It's, it's forgiving other people quickly because I realize that, you know what, they need forgiveness just like I need forgiveness. It's not retaliating or reacting when, when I'm wrong. Jesus didn't do that. When he was wronged, it says he made no effort to retaliate or, or get back. Number four, it's the ability to take criticism and, and correction graciously. You know, when somebody picks at you or, you know, every now and then we get some card from somebody or we get an email from somebody and that always hurts. And, you know, a, a real sign of humility is that we're willing to listen to what's being said and to take criticism and take correction graciously. Do you do that? It, it's not elbowing our way to the front of the line or, or wanting to have the best seat or the best parking spot or the best lane as we're driving along. In fact, we know that children have reached a great developmental place when when a plate of cookies is handed to them, they'll, they'll let somebody else choose the biggest cookie first. See, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just the ability to think of yourself less. Here's one I like. It's looking for ways to actually serve others in love. You see, that's a mark of humility. In fact, I love a great story told by Wayne Cordero, who's a pastor in uh, the Hawaiian Islands. He's got multi-site. He's on all of the islands. In fact, he's in a lot of cities of the Pacific Rim. His, his church is broadcast all over uh, to, in the Philippines and uh, different cities in Asia. And Wayne Cordero tells this great story one night of being on Oahu. And, and he said there was, a, there was a magician in town who was really quite well known. And he was going to do a show at an outdoor luau. And he, inv he invited Wayne, he said, hey, Wayne, I'd like for you to come be my, my guest. In fact, at one point uh, in the show, I'm going to kind of point you out to everybody because I want to tell them about who you are and what you're doing. And so would you come sit at one of my seats of honor? And so uh, Cordero went, and much like you see in the picture that uh, was on the screen there, you know, he typically is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's a Filipino guy, and so, I mean, he looks like he's a native Hawaiian, and and at one point during dinner, he, uh, he ran out of coffee and he couldn't get the attention of the waiter to come pour his coffee, but he could see that there was a pot of coffee over on a hot pet. So he said, I just got up and I went over and I, and I grabbed the pot of coffee and I came over and poured myself. And he said, I was heading back when a guy in his middle said, hey, 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 come on over here. And uh, held up his coffee and then people around the table. And then somebody actually said, uh, could you actually refill this, this uh, jar of water for us? And, and Cordero was saying, uh, uh, well, sure, certainly, you know, and starts pouring it. And by the time he took the water back, well, a guy came and he apologized and took over one of the, one of the waiters that was happening there. And, and it was really funny later because he said at one point in the show, the guy recognized me, he says, I'm happy to welcome my, my friend. He's actually a local celebrity, Wayne Cordero, and a spotlight shone on Wayne. And, and suddenly the guy over at the table who, 
who'd called on him thinking he was just some lowly waiter. His eyes got super big and Cordero just got the biggest kick out of that. But then he said something and telling that story, it was really good. He said, you wanna know how comfortable you are being a servant? How do you react when somebody treats you like one? See, that's, that's humility. It's showing servanthood. It's intentionally befriending people from whom they're, they're, they have no status. They have nothing to offer you that you can gain from. But you choose that unpopular, maybe lonely per, uh, person. It's being respectful of authorities. Boy, there's a, there's a picture of humility that could be useful in our day. Even bad authorities, by the way. It's picking up trash when we see it, cleaning up things, going into a rest in, into a restroom and maybe wiping down the sink and making it look clean and better than, than what it looked like when you came. See, only a servant does something like that. Only a humble person. By the way, how are you doing on this description that I'm giving you here? It's admitting your weaknesses and needs to a few other trusted people, maybe people in your small group. In fact, if there was more confession of our weaknesses to one another, there'd be less confession of our sins to one another. It's speaking well of others, even those who don't deserve it. And then number 12, the final thing, it's, it's when you start really praying for your enemies, you'll know that you're, you're being humble. Well, see, God says, first of all, if my people will adopt this position of humility, this is a critical one. And we spend a lot of time here because it's, it's a critical one. In fact, the Bible says, when I humble myself, would you write these four things down? God directs me lovingly. God directs me lovingly. Psalm 25 says, God leads the humble in the right way. And he teaches them his will. And God's willing to lovingly direct you and guide you if you'll humble your, yourself. Number two, God pours out his blessings on us when we humble ourselves. Isaiah 66, 2, God says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. You see, it's when we empty ourselves that God can truly fill us. I like a poem written by a woman named Martha Nicholson years ago. She, she said this, one by one, he took them from me. In fact, maybe some of you can relate to this right now in your own experience. One by one, he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways, grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. And so I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with the store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. See, God says maybe, maybe you're hanging on to stuff so tightly that it's only when you empty yourself that he can fill you. Number three, God enables me to change when I humble myself. Scripture says in the book of James that God opposes the proud. That's a military term that means he, he actually goes out to war against them. But he gives his grace to the humble. And God's grace is the power 
that enables me to change. It's the help that I need that I don't have. And then number four, when I humble myself, God relieves my stresses and my strain. You know, it takes a lot of work and effort to try to control things that you can't. It's a lot of work to be able to try to cover over your insecurities and hide your guilt and shame, trying to keep all those closets closed so no skeletons come tumbling out. That can be a lot of work. And Jesus says this, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you. In other words, let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Notice, you'll find rest for your souls. So God says, first of all, if my people will will humble themselves, admitting they're not in control. And then number two, he says, and pray. See, prayer really, it's inviting God to have his way in our lives. That's really what prayer is. That's what we've been learning. Jesus said it starts by saying, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will be done. And prayer is inviting God to involve himself. It's allowing him to be king over our life. It's coming to God in prayer. You see, prayer, I just remind you, it's not about getting my will done in heaven, but it's about getting God's will done on earth and in my life. And so it's saying, God, I need your help. Now, we've been looking at some great verses on prayer. I'll remind you this one, John 16, 23 to 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The Father will give you anything you ask for in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Now, I just want to say, here's some things to remember about prayer. We've been touching on these, so just kind of remind you of them. Is Number one, Jesus says, I want you to, to be remembering that uh, just ask. And ask in his name. Some 20 times the New Testament tells us that we're to ask. And to ask in Jesus' name means that we can come to God knowing that it is in the stead of Jesus in his name that we're coming. I, I don't know if you ever name drop or whatever. Every, every now and then I'll, I'll tell somebody about somebody that they, they need to get in touch with and kind of refer them and I'll, and I'll say to them, hey, just tell them Pastor Steve gave you their cell number. Because I know because of their relationship to me, they're gonna be open to my friend when they contact them for help. I'll never forget when our kids uh, were little, uh, Gene and I, we took them on vacation to Tennessee, went to a place called Gatlinburg, and there was a guy in our church at the time named Dan who uh, was from Tennessee, and he actually owned a restaurant in Gatlinburg. And when he heard we were going there, he said, hey, Steve, look, take my card, and he wrote on the back of it, give meals to Steve and his family whenever they show up. And he handed me his card, and he said, you, you just go to my restaurant, and, uh, and you just present that card and you can eat there as many times as you want at no charge. And I mean, the first time we went, you know, I was a little sheepish, you know, and I said, well, uh, you know, Dan, and I used his name, uh, sent me here. In fact, you know, he, he gave me this card and, and they looked at it and they said, oh, great, have a seat, anything you want. I mean, man, we ate there several times. We stayed there for about three or four days and, you know, a family of five, that can get expensive on vacation. Well, see, literally, 
I was coming in Dan's name. I wasn't coming in my own. And the second time we walked in, we walked in a little more confidently. And the third and fourth, fifth time, man, we were like, we, we knew we belonged. And Jesus says, God wants you to be asking. He wants you to be inviting him to be involved in your life. Because you have standing with him because of my name. Jesus says, I want you to ask. And by the way, I want you to notice the verse. Look at that verse again. He says, I want you to ask anything in my name. Jesus says, you can ask anything. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you everything that you ask. In fact, next week we'll be talking about that. But he says, but you know what? Now, there's a difference between everything and anything. What he is saying, though, is, hey, nothing's beyond what you could pray about. Ask for anything that you legitimately need, and, and I'll want to answer now, here's a second thing that's very important. Look at this next verse from James chapter 5 that's on your notes. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. That's why we sing songs of praise together. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise him up. See, this is a prayer of healing he's talking about here. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. That's the restoration part. Now, if I could just put this in a simple way. This is specifically talking about calling the elders, the pastors of the church. But you know, there's nothing magical about the elders. Yeah, you know, we're just followers of Jesus along with everybody else. And there's nothing magical about the oil. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit and of dedication to him and and the Holy Spirit's involvement in our life. But here's the point, write this down. Get other people praying with you. Get other people praying with you. When you need healing, when you need restoration, when you need a breakthrough, get other people praying with you because it says here it's a powerful thing to have other people join in your prayer. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick, the sick person well. In fact, look at this third verse. Jesus actually says this, I tell you this. If two of you... Agree here on earth concerning anything you ask. There's that word anything again. Concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Here's the third thing, and that is pray believing and expecting his answer. Believe that, in fact, God has heard you and that he's going to answer based on the promise of Jesus to us for whatever we ask. You see, this is one of the things we've been learning during this time and that is that, that God says, I want to teach you how to trust me and depend upon me. And that's why there are things in your life I'm only going to do when you ask. And if you don't ask, I'm not going to do them because I want to teach you how to trust and rely on me. Now, I, I've got a lot of young uh, grandbabies around this summer and I've just been reminded of this. This is, this is how it works with a parent and with their child. The child has a need and they express that need, and it's usually through crying. And the parent hears it, and they respond to the need, they supply the need, and the child then learns how to trust that parent. And they return to a state of rest. And when a need arises again, they cry out again. The parent hears the need and responds to the need. And the child learns how to trust that the parent is going to respond. Now that's what God is trying to do with us in prayer. And that's why when we pray and we ask, we're taking God seriously in prayer. And he loves it. He's not put off by your prayers. 
He says, I want you to invite me to have my way in your life. And then the fourth thing here, you, you keep praying till God says to quit. See, the prayer of faith is powerful and effective. And you keep praying until God says to quit. Now, the first condition we talked about had to do with humility. This one has to do with praying with tenacity. That God says, you don't just pray and ask one time and then, you know, that's it. But he says, you keep praying and you keep asking. And in fact, you're showing greater faith by continuing to pray. Now, next week, we're going to talk more about why doesn't God just answer the first time that we, uh, with yes, and give us what we want the first time that we, we pray. Why is it? Why is it that sometimes there's a lengthy process before he answers? We'll talk about that. But I'm saying to you, you keep praying until God says to quit. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, he said, you ought, to, you ought to pray and not give up. Keep praying. Matthew 7, 7, he said, the one who asks and keeps on asking receives. The one who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. The one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door finally is going to be open to them. But there's a point where God's going to say, you don't have to keep praying over that. And he's going he's to tell you that. He's going to show you that. So number one, it's admitting I'm not in control. That's humility. Number two, I'm inviting God to have his way. Now, we'll quickly cover the other two. We're not going to spend as much time on them. Number three, it's wanting him more than a miracle. See, he says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And what we're talking about here is that we want to have a passion for God himself, not just for what he can do for me, but for him. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that he rewards those, notice on your notes, who earnestly seek him. See, underline earnestly. This is praying, my friend, with intensity. And the intensity is not about what it is that we want. The intensity is about our desire for him. We don't pray casually. God isn't just one of the things that we want to dabble in in our life, but rather, he says, when my people are, are willing to seek my face, they really want to know me. And they want me more than they want an answer to their prayer. They want me more than they want a thing or, or whatever it is they're asking. But when they want me, when I'm the controlling interest in our life, then he says, I'm going to answer this isn't a casual thing. It's praying with intensity. You know, you don't become an Olympian in your spare time. A musical virtuoso doesn't just pick up their instrument every now and then. They, they have to be devoted to it. And God says, I want you to devote yourself to seeking me. In Deuteronomy 4.29, he says, you'll search for the Lord your God and you'll find him when you seek him, with, notice, with all your heart and with all your soul. And God says, if my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, to where they're saying, you know, God, you matter more to me than material things. You matter more to me than even the things that I want to ask and see you do. You matter to me more than our nation. You matter to me more than my politics. You matter to me more than my clique. And I love something that Pastor Warren has, has already said this last week and in our 
in our 40 days small group time, he said, there's almost nothing that God will not do for someone that seeks him like that with all their heart. How much do you want him, my friend? You want him more than what it is you're asking for? Number four, it's turning myself from what I, what I would say from the world to his word. And you see, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. They'll turn from their wicked ways. What does it mean to turn from our wicked ways? Well, I, I would say to you, it means that we'll, we'd be willing to turn from whatever it is that has turned us from him. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, we hear words like our wicked ways. And we, when we think of the word wicked, we're thinking of really despicable, horrible, terrible kind of people. Rapists and murderers, assassins, people who uh, have unbelievable kind of cruelty, Hitler kind of people. But, you know, when the Bible uses the word wicked, that, that's not really what it means. It means someone who's turned away from what's right that they've turned to evil. In fact, what is evil? I love to say, somebody said this one time and I picked it up, evil is just the word live spelled backwards. That wickedness and evil is about turning from the ways God has planned for us to live and it's going in the wrong direction in our lives. And that's, that's very easy to do, is it not? In fact, look at what God says about this in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verses 13 and 32. God says, my people have done two evils. And another way that could be translated is, my people have done double evil. They've turned away from me, underline that, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. Now, you may not catch the picture of that but anybody who's been to Israel understands it or the Middle East or parts of the world where running water isn't freely available and the word wells here is probably not a great translation it, it literally is the word cistern a cistern is something that catches rainwater and the only source in an area sometimes of water is water that's literally uh, captured from the rain I've seen that many times in the the trips I've made to Kenya, they're masters at collecting rainwater there to give them water that they can then purify and, and use long after the rains have, have stopped. And so the picture he's saying here is, my people have turned away, are you catching this? He said, I'm the spring of living water. But they've turned away from me and they've gone to dig a cistern somewhere, a cistern that's cracked and can't even hold water. And what God's saying is, my people have turned to other things that they're trying to have their deepest needs met and they've turned away from me. God says, that's what wickedness is. That's what evil is. What, what is it that maybe has turned your heart away from the Lord and God is prompting you, it's time to turn back and begin to follow his way, to turn from the world and turn back to his word and, and to what he directs and wants for your life. For some people, it's possessions that turn them away or a desire for it or position or persons in their lives or perhaps it's pleasures or certain pursuits that they want that 
Somehow they, they think that, that God wouldn't be pleased to give them if they'd, uh, if they'd work with him and ask him for it. God says, I want you to understand that when you go out there to try to find something different that meets your soul, there's no there there. Don't turn away from me, the spring of living water. He gives another example. A young woman doesn't forget her jewelry. A bride doesn't forget the decorations for her dress on her wedding day. But my people, notice, have forgotten me for more days than can be counted. You know, God says, just understand that you need to turn away from trying to do it your way. In fact, that's how the Bible describes what sin and evil is, that everyone has turned to his own way. And sometimes we think that our way is better and that we know better, and, and yet God says, don't lean on your own way, but depend on me. Trust me. Pastor Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and uh, I heard this great uh, just clip the other day when he was saying, well, now what does it mean to really trust the Lord? And he said, do you remember at age 10 how dumb you thought your five-year-old self was? And then do you remember at age 15 what a dumb kid your 10-year-old self was? And then do you remember at 25 what, what an idiot you thought your 15-year-old self was? And, and then when you were 35 years old, you thought back on your 25-year-old self and you thought what an idiot that was. And then he says, guess what? You're an idiot now. That's why, that's why you don't trust your own self. You don't trust your way. You go God's way. And God says, if my people will turn from the things that have turned them from me, they're on their way to healing. Isaiah 17.10 says, you've forgotten. See, when we forget God, it's very easy to do. That's why we need to be praying constantly. He says, you have forgotten the God who saves you. You've not remembered that God is your place of safety. See, this this point's all about our sincerity. It's honestly saying, God, you know, I really do want you more than anything else, and I want your ways, and I'm willing to follow it. Now, God says, and by the way, God notices when we humble ourselves and when we turn like this. In fact, there's a great verse. It's not on your notes. You might want to look it up if you want to write it down. Psalm 138, 6, where it says, The Lord is exalted, but he takes note of the humble. And there's a great story. The prophet Elijah confronts a king by the name of Ahab. The Bible says he's one of the most evil kings that ever lived in the Old Testament. And yet in 1 Kings 21, 29, Elijah preaches to him and God grips his heart And it says that Elijah humbled himself before the Lord and and repented before the Lord. And God says to Elijah, have you seen? Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself? See, I want to say to you that when we meet these four conditions, God says, you've gotten my attention. And I want to move and answer. And what's the part God does? Here's what he says. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. God says, I will open my ears to hear. Three things, write those down. 
I will open my ears to hear you. Some people say, you know what? I feel like my prayers just don't get any farther than the ceiling. Is it because there needs to be some humbling and seeking and turning so that your prayers really are heard by God? God says, I'll open my ears to hear the person who creates those right conditions. And second, he says, and I will forgive their sin. In other words, I will show my heart of mercy because that is God's heart. It is to give us forgiveness far more than we even desire it. He wants to forgive. By the way, to me, this is helpful to understand that when we pray for healing for somebody else, we need to pray that God heals them from the inside out because sometimes there's things that need to be happening deep in their heart that God is actually using the turmoil or the difficulty or the illness or the problem to get their attention, to change their heart from within. But God says, you know what? If you'll humble yourself and pray seeking my face and turning from your ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin. And the third thing is, is he says, and I will heal their land. I will extend my hand of healing to give what's needed. I, I don't know how this message hits you. I don't know how it speaks to your heart. I don't know how God maybe is using it to encourage you to pray for somebody else, but I know I'm talking to people who need this message. Would you bow your head with me for a word of prayer? Lord, I want to pray for those who are listening to this message right now. I want to pray for people who feel lost and who are in despair and they need to know your love and forgiveness. Thank you, God, that you've done so much to show us that you love us to the point that you gave your own son to die for us on the cross. I want to pray, Lord, for people who need healing in their mind and their body healing in their heart from hurts and wounds and bitterness. I want to pray for people who need healing from a sense of turmoil and fear about the divisions that are going on today, people that need to be healed from despair and from difficulty. God, I want to, I want to pray and ask, Lord, would you please be pleased to heal our land from this pandemic and beyond our land, even to our world, to show yourself good and to show yourself God. Please continue to help us and be with us and help us as we're learning how to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, turning away from those things that turn us from you. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.